You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to be with you. You're, you're the ones who dared the rain. So thank you for showing up. I'm so thankful for our teams that stay out in the parking lot, moving you in on golf carts and with umbrellas. Can we just stop and say thank you to our campus experience team for a minute? Man, so thankful. Hey, everybody watching at home right now online, we're really glad you're tuning in with us, and hopefully it's raining hard wherever you are as well, and uh, we're really glad that you're watching with us, and always want you to feel engaged, and everything that we're talking about here applies to you there too, so thank you for giving us a moment of your day. This new series we're launching called I'm In has everything to do with what we call the one another passages in the Bible. So this current series, six months ago, nine months ago, I thought God wanted us to talk about one thing. And about three months ago, when we really started planning it, God started moving in my heart and saying, do something different. And I always know God is doing something in the quote unquote big church because I start hearing about other pastors doing it. And actually, Life Church right now is doing a series called I'm In, and it's all about getting connected to the people. Yesterday, I listened to an interview with Max Licato that occurred like over the last week where he started talking about how he wrote a new book on happiness and it was all based off the one another passages. This past week, before I knew Max Licato did that, I literally went through every single New Testament passage where it says one another. I pulled them together, made like a three, four page document and just started reading them. And I was overwhelmed by thinking if the church would just live these passages, we would change the world. Everybody would want to be a part of that thing. And I keep thinking God is doing something in every Christian, in every church in America today, maybe even around the world. And it's like the same thing which says you're not here on accident. God has been planning this moment in many churches, in many places for this specific purpose, to call you and draw you into himself. Now to get there today, what I wanna do is start by asking you this question, you ready? Have you ever regretted not warning someone you love about something painful that you saw coming? Some of you were like, elbowing your spouse. This might be a good time to keep your elbows to yourself. My answer is yes, absolutely, more than once, different people. But I remember this one time. My wife and I had two kids at the time. Now, for those of you who are newer to our community or watching online, you don't know this. There's there's a place in Plainfield, the next town over, and it's currently called the Shops at Perry Crossing or something like that. It used to be called the Metropolis. And the Metropolis had this really cool water fountain out front. And it would have lights, and the water would kind of dance, and it's perfect for little boys. And one day we decided, because like most of us in Indiana, there comes a point you cannot stay in your house any longer, right? So you're like, we got to get outside. So we went over to the shops. And if I remember the details correctly, my wife is in here, so I have to be very careful I get the details, right? I had one little boy, she had the other. And she said to me, because I was walking around the fountain as we're watching it and ooing and aahing, and she said to me, Matt, do not let him go. He's little, he will fall in the fountain. Now, wives, any time you look at your husband and tell him he can't do something, you have just invited him to prove you wrong. I just 
want to let you know how it's going to work. And every wife in the room knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? So sure enough, she walks away and it's just me and the little guy and we're walking around the thing and we're having fun and I let go and he's laughing and cackling and reaching down her wall so I'll touch the water. And I don't know if a bird flew by or a squirrel ran by, but for one split moment, I took my eyes off the little guy because I was bound to prove that I was right. But I was right. Everything was fine until I looked away. And sure enough, I hear water sound, a splashing sound. And I did, you ever see that video going around on like Facebook or whatever? And it's like dad saves and at the last second dad reaches up and grabs a kid just before they crack their head on something. That wasn't it. I was dramatically short of the cat-like reflex needed to get the job done. And I swooped my arm down and I'm wet up to here and he had just gone face first into the water and I grabbed him and scooped him up and he's coughing and he's hacking and I stand him up and I look over and there's my wife. (laughs) There was no drying him off. There was no getting away with this. Now, it's funny when it's a kid falling in a fountain. He was safe, by the way. But when it's not a kid falling in a fountain and it's a failed marriage, or it's a catastrophic business decision, maybe it's an addiction to drugs, opioids, something you saw, you knew it was coming, and you just didn't say anything. But do you know what's worse than that? What's worse than that is when somebody actually falls and there's nobody there to pick him up. Imagine a little guy, two years old, falling into the fountain, can't swim, and his daddy is nowhere to be found. And yet that's the story for so many of you sitting here today. There is nobody in your life helping you, speaking into you, coming alongside you, encouraging you, challenging you. And here's the thing, when you fall, who will be there to pick you up? The whole series that I want to do for the next few weeks is based around this one verse. Actually, it's two verses, sorry. This one idea from Jesus. John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And before I read the rest of it, I realize it's on the screen, but before I read it, If you read your Old Testament, especially like Leviticus chapter 18, you will see that love is not new. God commanded the Israelites to love. In fact, many of the things Jesus taught us are actually direct quotes from the Old Testament. So how can Jesus say a new command I give you when love is not new? It's as old as old gets. And the reason is because what Jesus said is love one another, not just love one another, but love one another as I have loved you. In the same way and in the same manner that you see Jesus love, love. If Jesus has done it for you, do it for somebody else. By this, everyone will know that you are a disciple of Jesus if you love one another. To be a Christian means to love. If you want to experience love like you've never known anywhere else, you ought to be able to experience that inside the church. But here's the dirty little secret on love. You ready? It's really hard to love on a Sunday morning. Now, I said that last service and like this chuckle went across the room and I thought, I don't mean because you had to get up, drink coffee, get your kids ready and rush to church. 
Many of you showed up today yelling and screaming and fighting and then raising your hand going, I'm going to see a victory. (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about it's really, really, really hard to love somebody in the name of Jesus when you're sitting next to them, but you don't know them. You may see them in the hallway, but here's the thing. We are all, all of us, Christian, non-Christian, we're really good at answering one question the same way. How are you today? I'm, you can say fine, you can say good, you can say okay, and you wonder why your kids say it the same way after school, right? How are you today? Fine. What'd you learn? You have my kids, right? (laughs) How can you say you learn nothing? How can you say you're fine? But here's the thing. It's really hard. It's really hard because you don't always know. Do people really want to know? Do people really care? Will they really slow down their life just long enough to listen in and find out if I am or am not okay? Here's the thing. If you really want to experience the love of God, circles are better than rows. Here's what I mean by that. It's really hard on a Sunday morning. We're all sitting side by side. You may or may not know the people next to you. You're watching the band lead worship. You're watching me teach and give a message. Then you're going to walk out of the room. You're going to say hi to a couple people in the hallway, laugh, joke, get in your car and leave. But you're never really going to get involved and engaged in people's lives. It's really hard to love in this environment, which is why we have groups of all kinds, men's groups, women's groups, mixed groups, and I want to now, I want to open God's word and take you back to the book of Galatians, and when we did the book of Galatians this summer, those of you who are here, I said there's one message in this, in this book that I don't have time to get to, I want to get to it this fall, today is the day, so if you were waiting, if you were all excited, probably you weren't, you've slept a lot since then, but I want to deliver to you a message that God put on my heart for you 60 days ago, but it's about the need for sitting in rows, or sitting in circles rather than in rows. And we're going to find that in the book of Galatians, chapter 6. If you have a Bible and you know how to use it, feel free to open up with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible or you don't know how to use it, no stress. Everything will be up here that I'm covering, but I want you to have it open. That way, when the squirrel or the bird distracts you, you'll be able to just wander through God's word and then come back when I say something interesting. Been there, done that. I know what I'm talking about. All right, Galatians, chapter 6, verse 1. Some of you are like, how does he know? Because fantasy football goes off the whole service. Okay. Verse one, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. First of all, the very first opening here, the idea of brothers and sisters, it's actually not in the Greek. We don't really have the concept of sisters. It's more like brothers, but it's that generic, everybody here is in a family. The idea here is God is birthing something new in the church. Now, some of you come from a Christian home, so you get the blessing of two families, your Christian family inside the family of God. But in the early days of the New Testament, that wasn't the case. In the early days of the New Testament, people were coming to faith in Jesus, and they were leaving their families because to believe in Jesus meant you were being kicked out, ostracized, not welcome. It still happens in parts of the world today. But that only works if we are in each other's lives in such a way that you could actually call me a brother. I could call you a sister. We could say we're family. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, see, that's crucial there. The whole idea here is we are on different trajectories at this time, or different, I should say, locations on a trajectory at this time. 
Some of us are further ahead, further along. Some of us have been living this life and we're living it well and better than others. We've learned to tune into the Holy Spirit. We've been taught lessons by other people who were once ahead of us and we are now more mature. And it's important that those of us who are surrendered to the Holy Spirit are so engaged of the lives of others that we're available to restore them. Now the word restore here is a fascinating word. It has to do with setting a bone. Ouch. When I was in um, Bible college, we would play full contact football with no pads. And we would go out to the University of Cincinnati's practice field late at night when nobody else was around, and we would play. And I'll never forget this one time. My friend Billy Baubach was running the ball because at that time I thought his name was Ballback. I'll never forget that. And they ran a reverse. And I was the defensive back, so I was in the, the backfield, like guarding the wide receivers. But I noticed everybody in the play started going this way. I kind of started going this way, but then I watched my friend Billy run back this way. So I started following him this way. So I'm pursuing him. It's going to be me and him one on one. And my friend Bill decides to cut back up towards all the noise to try to avoid me, but also because he saw something I didn't see. And out of my blind side came a dude who was about eight foot tall, 450 pounds. <laughs> he was probably about six foot 250. And you know, being the massive man that I was at the time at about 5'8", 150, he blindside hit me, raised me up off the ground, no pads. The moment he hit me, my collarbone snapped and it was loud. One of my friends on my team who was actually engaged with trying to get to the guy, Bill, who had the ball, he was on the ground and heard it pop. It was that loud. And then I lifted me up and I landed on the ground and he scored a touchdown. And I got up and I'm like, I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm okay, guys. I'm like, I guess you need to sit for a minute. I think I just pulled a muscle. They're like, Matt, stand up straight. <laughs> I look like John Noel. I'm just kidding, John, if you're in here, I love you. <laughs> I love you, John. And they drove me to the hospital. Sure enough, I split my collarbone. And so I had to go into one of those braces. You ever, anybody ever broke their collarbone? And it hurt. And the reason they had to put me in that brace is they had to pull my shoulder back into place and to get the bones to line back up so they could heal. And that's the word for restore. It's actually a medical term that has to do with taking something broken and setting it back in place. You who are spiritual should restore others. But restore others from what? Well, when they've been caught in sin. Well, what is sin? The literal word sin literally just means, it's a Greek word, amartia, and it literally means to miss the mark. We have rebelled against God and his ways. And when we're caught and we've rebelled against God and his ways, we're caught in it. You who are spiritual should help somebody else. How are you going to do that on a Sunday morning? When everybody you see says, I'm good. I'm fine. Are you? Are you really good? Are you really fine? Don't get me wrong. You might be really good and really fine today. Did you know every bug wakes up thinking it's fine that day? Until it ends up at a spider's web. That was not the plan for the day. That bug did not wake up that day going, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna get eaten alive today. That is my goal. But sometimes 
we stumble into things that we didn't see coming. We thought it was gonna be perfect. We thought the marriage would work out. We thought the business deal would be great. We thought it would all be fine. And then this happens. But you know, sometimes life doesn't accidentally catch us and makes us stumble. Sometimes it's our own will, our own independence, our own stubbornness that drives us to get that thing, want that thing, chase that thing that we have no business going after. It's a lot more like this. Watch this. There is a way that seems right to a bug, but in the end, it only leads to death. You ever sit on your back porch? You're listening to bzzzkit, 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 sit with some friends, sipping some lemonade, playing cards, whatever, and there's a pile of dead bugs there. And you think to yourself, which one of these bugs is going to see all their charred brothers and sisters and think to themselves, maybe, just maybe, I shouldn't go into the light? Here's the interesting thing. The Greek word for caught in a sin literally can mean an unintentional error like a spider web or a willful transgression like a bug light. Either one is acceptable. But you who are spiritual ought to reach out to that person who's caught and say, how can I help you? What can I do for you? Let's go back and read verse one and now add to it verse two. Galatians chapter six, verse one. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is playing off the fact that in the Old Testament, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rules and laws, hundreds of them. Don't do this, do, do this. And in that, you won't sin and you will please God. Paul comes along and he says, throw all of those laws out the window. The only laws that remain are love God and love others. It's the law of Christ, the law of love. So in every turn, we ask ourselves, does this please God? And in every turn, would this be loving to somebody else? What Jesus did was he added the law of Christ of love is to love others the way that God has loved us, to care for others the way that God has carried for us. Now, the way that this works and the way that we play this out is um, this has to do with an excess burden. In fact, the word here, the Greek word, carry each other's burdens, literally means heaviness, weight, burden, or trouble. The whole idea here is when somebody stumbles into, falls into something that is simply too much, think of a boulder. You would never look at somebody trying to push a boulder and go, man, I sure hope you figure that out. If for some reason that boulder had to be moved, whatever the reason being, you would look at them and say, you need help. Now, I'm asking you to go even further and say, and I will help you. I will do something about it. Now, the goal when you're helping somebody with their burden is the goal is to get them back to where they are carrying their own load again. See, unhealthy people will take advantage of you in your generosity. Unhealthy people will make you feel like things that are their responsibility are your responsibility. When you're helping somebody to shoulder their load, again, think back to the whole concept of 
uh, me and my collarbone. The whole idea is to help someone until they're healthy again. For months, I would not let anyone help me. I would use my crutches or whatever. I would carry my books. I would literally sit in class with pain shooting through my shoulder, and I wouldn't let anybody help me. We'd get up, and I would be stubborn. I was determined to prove to everybody that I could do it on my own. And every man in the room went, yes! Because men, by nature, you're green berets, right? Drop me in the middle of nowhere with a backpack, and I'll show you how I can make it out. This is why God gave you women. Amen. <laughs> I'm being serious for a second here. Adam was alone. And at first, Adam was happy. And look at this beautiful place. You name all these animals. And then as Adam started naming all the animals, he realized how isolated he was. And God's gift to Adam was to give Adam Eve. Here's the thing. You know the number one question I get, men, from the women in this church, the wives in this church? It's not, pastor, will you fix my husband? It's not, pastor, will you fix my marriage? You know what the number one thing I get is? Pastor, do you have any groups where my husband can connect with others? The number one struggle of every single male is isolation. It's isolation. The number one enemy of every single human is isolation. Here's the truth you need to know, and you might write this down because I don't have it on the screen. Everybody doesn't need to know everything, but somebody does. I'm gonna say that one again because this one's worth your money, let me tell you. Everybody doesn't have to know everything. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, social media, the world does not need to know all the junk going on in your life. Somebody does. You need a place where it's safe for you to be human. It's the number one struggle of every pastor. The people who constantly give to everybody else and have to have their lives completely put together, where do they go? Where do they go to be vulnerable? But I tell you, without it, I don't know what I would do. Every church deserves a pastor who has no secrets. Somebody knows everything going on in my life. And I praise God, I got a retreat coming up next month with a group of guys, my covenant group, I meet with some other pastors from around the United States. I praise God that I have that. Do you? Do you have a group of people in your life that you can go to and be vulnerable and say, I don't have it all put together? I found it fascinating when I was reading the book of James uh, earlier this year, and it says, we all stumble at many times and in many ways. I love the way that James, he's the half-brother of Jesus. They share the same mommy. They got a different daddy, and he's one of the pillars of the early church, and he says, we all stumble at many times. Not you all, y'all. That's a good Kentucky word, right? Y'all stumble many times in many ways. But James, he's got it all put together. No, James saying, we all, all of us stumble at many times and in many ways. So who do you turn to in your hour of need? Now, ladies, y'all love to come to me. I got nods in my head. Y'all love to come to me and say that the men in your lives just aren't connected. Like, how do you help connect them? But the reality is women love to connect. They just don't love to be vulnerable either. Don't get me wrong. I've heard it said, and women love to get together and talk about everybody else's business and talk about everybody else's problems and everybody else's stuff, even the stuff that maybe is or isn't their spouse's fault. But do you have a safe place that you could go and be vulnerable? Do you have a safe place where you can go and say, I got a problem and I don't know what to do. Will you pray with me? Will you help me? Will you love me? Will you get me out of this? 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, he says, if it, oh, wrong one. He says, anyone, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. In order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. There's a whole context to this that Paul's dealing with. I don't want to unpack right now. I just want to say the point I want to make from this passage is that Paul is saying, look, you have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He is laying traps for you right now. What I know about your life and my life is he is either in the process of eating your lunch. He is owning you. He's got you wrapped up like a spider in a web, and you don't know how to get out. Or he's laying traps right now to try to get you to that place. You're in one place or the other right now. So the question is, who will you turn to when it happens? It's like having a heart attack. After you have the heart attack, if you manage to survive it, boy, you ought to get on that treadmill. But wouldn't it be better if you'd been on the treadmill before the heart attack came? But most of us wait until it's too late. We wait until things are a burden, until things are falling apart, and then we reach out and say, help. Now, if we're gonna be the kind of church that Jesus calls us to be, we're gonna be ready and available to help at any moment, no matter how somebody got there. Man, wouldn't it be great to have those relationships today that it could actually happen for you? Galatians chapter six, verse three. If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Let's just stop there for a second. What's happening here is this is not like Matt Nickerson on the basketball court talking about how awesome I am, not. Five foot eight, two left hands, can't dribble with either one, don't shoot well. You are never gonna hear me smack talk. Well, don't get me wrong, okay, I'll smack talk on the basketball court. You'll never hear me legitimately talk about how, what a great basketball player I am. I send my little boys to my wife to learn how to shoot because she knows what she's doing. Like, it's not gonna happen. That's not what Paul's saying. Somebody who thinks there's something and they're really not. No, no, no. What Paul's talking about is anybody who thinks they got their stuff put together but they really don't, they're really just deceiving themselves. Anybody who thinks they're strong enough to go through life on their own but really need the body of Christ are deceiving themselves that they're not reaching out for help. In fact, he goes on. Each one should actually test their own actions. Is how I'm living, is how I'm thinking, is what I'm going through, is it, is it actually lining up with who God is and what he wants in the world? Then they could take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to somebody else. I don't need to look at somebody else's life and go, oh man, look how awesome I am compared to you. No, I can look at my own life, my own heart, my own practices, my own disciplines, and I can see, am I walking with God, my Father? Do I have a right relationship with him? Am I accurately evaluating and assessing my own life? Because, verse five, each one should carry their own load. When I first studied this about eight years ago, I got, I got messed up in the head. I went, Paul, okay, I was with you, carry each other's burdens, help each other out. Now, now you're saying I gotta carry my own load. I'm so confused, Paul. You're talking out of both sides of your mouth. But he's not because the word for load is different than the word for burden. They're two separate words in the Greek. In fact, the word for load literally means a load as a part of a ship or a freight. In Greek language, this word literally means cargo or the burden of daily toil. It's a whole idea of a knapsack. And the load in the knapsack is my daily load. It's my job. It's my responsibilities. Nobody can take it from me. It's got to be mine. 
The whole idea of what Paul's trying to get here in this thing is that uh, when I have a burden, that means my knapsack has one too many or 25 too many things in it and I can't go on anymore. It is so heavy, so toilsome that it is killing me to go forward with it. Take that stuff out, get my life back right size where it's supposed to be and I have daily responsibilities that are mine. They're not yours. Again, Unhealthy people in your life will want to take their load and place it on you. So the question for all of us, how do we come alongside people who are experiencing burdens and love them and people who have loads and help them be responsible? Here's just some things people have done in our life. You, you need to seek the Spirit. John Knoll, the same guy I was teasing on earlier, I better tell a good story. Like, there's been times in the winter He'll actually come over with those like little four-wheeler Kubota because he lives a couple streets over from us and he'll just shovel our driveway. When we had three kids under five years old, there were at least two different families, maybe more in the church, who actually came over and cut our grass multiple times. For a long time, I actually thought it was my neighbors who were mad that my grass was so long. But we were so tired and so weary and just trying to keep things afloat in our life and people in the church just came alongside us. My mom, over the last few months, she knows how busy and stressed that we've been. She actually will buy us meals like once a week. She'll, she'll just text, say, you guys want Starbucks? I never turn down free Starbucks, I'm just saying. And they seem small. None of that has ever made any of our load go away. After the meal, after the Starbucks, after the grass, we still have a busy life at times, sometimes a stressed life. But those are my load to carry. They weren't ever anybody else's. But we've been through seasons of surgery and health crisis. We've been through seasons of even sin struggle. And in all of it, the body of Christ has come alongside us and helped to shoulder the load. One time after I broke my collarbone, it was mostly healed. It was about two months or so down the road and I was being stubborn and I was carrying the laundry up from the basement. I was on the fourth floor of the building and the laundry room was in the basement of Bible college. And uh, we were carrying it up and my friend, Matt, who was with me, had offered to carry the laundry and I said no, that I could get it. And I had my brace on, I'll never forgive because I'm carrying it up and my foot caught the very last step, mostly because Matt wanted to race me and I had to prove I could beat him. But I was racing and I had these slippers on and I caught the last step and I tripped and I fell up the steps and I put my arm out to brace me and it went and I actually broke the same collarbone twice. All because I wouldn't let somebody help shoulder my burden. And here's the reality. I know for many of you sitting out there today, that's your story. It's easy to show up and watch church happen in a row. It's hard to show up and be vulnerable enough to look at somebody else and say, I need help. But listen, you don't have to be alone. We don't want you to be alone. I need to pause for a moment. See, about half of our church is in a group of some sort, about half. To those of you who are in a group, I'm so glad. I hear so many stories like the one you saw before the message. You'll hear a different one each week. But I also know some of you struggle with consistency and faithfulness. Let me give a very gentle and loving rebuke. It's hard for people to trust you when you're not consistent. 
It's hard for people to trust you when you're not faithful. The way trust works, and it works the same for all of us, it's universal. The way trust works is I give you just a little bit of myself and I see what you can do with it. If you're able to handle what I've given you, then I can give you a little more. If you aren't able to handle it, then I know you can't handle any more of me. So the only way that you can build a relationship of trust with me is to show up over and over and over and over again and do what you say you will do when you say you will do it. And that allows me to trust you. So see, groups, I just want to call you to a higher place. Some of you are in amazing groups. Some of you are in amazing groups, but there are some in the group struggling. Don't be isolated. Be faithful. Be consistent and love the same way that God loves you. He's always faithful. He's always consistent. He always shows up, and you can trust him. Now, church, don't you want to be the kind of place where people in our community feel safe in our midst? Don't you want to be the kind of church where when people show up, they go, I don't know what it is about those people, but they love us. They love us. They aren't judging us. They aren't pointing a finger at us. They just accept us. How we, I just want to be around them. Don't you want to be that kind of place? The way we get there is we love one another. Maybe you're sitting out there and there's some stuff going on in your life. And you're thinking, what do I do about this? Well, the first step would probably be to reach out and say, I need to get connected somehow. You could literally right now pull out your phone. If you got it out for your Bible, great. And just text the word groups, G-R-O-U-P-S. If you are sitting at home right now watching this, you can actually text groups right now to 317-565-4911. Or if you're in the building today, you can actually walk right out here to that little coffee table looking thing in that corner right outside here. It's called our event corner. You'll find trunk or treat on one half and you'll find a thing on groups on the other half. You can just walk up there and say, I'd like to get connected in a group. You don't have to know everything that you're gonna know about it. You can just literally show up and sign up. You can ask questions. You don't have to commit to anything at this point except for getting information. My biggest concern for you is that you don't leave today without getting connected. Paul says this, Galatians chapter six, verse nine. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, what I want to do is send you into a time of communion. Don't miss this now. All around this room, there are tables set up with the bread and the juice that represent the body and the blood of Jesus that was poured out for you so that you could be right with God and family with each other. I want you to take that bread and that juice and whatever you got going on, remember, you are either trapped in a scheme of Satan or you are about to be set up to be trapped by Satan. So wherever you are, I just want you to proclaim the victory of Jesus in this time. God, thank you for sending your one and only son. Thank you for loving me enough to free me. Thank you, God. But thank you for surrounding me with all these people who love you also. God, help me to be vulnerable enough. Give me the strength, God, to be vulnerable enough to reach out and ask for help. 
And as you're taking that bread and that juice, you just talk to God. Wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, you talk to God and you tell him and then you do something about it. We have people that will be down here that will be wearing Connect shirts. Just find one of them. If you need help of any sort, you find one of them and say, I don't even know what I need. I don't even know what ministries you have. I just need help. They are trained to help you. But please don't leave the way you came in. Please make a decision today to love one another the way that God loves you. You'll also find on those tables are boxes, black boxes. They're also the back room, boxes on the wall. They're just for our generosity. If God is stirring in your heart to join him in being generous, do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let us as a church never grow weary of doing good. God, I pray right now. I even met one lady in the hallway today just going through the ringer. Satan is having a field day in her story. Oh God, right now, draw the men and the women in this place who are just going through it. They're caught in a web, either a web of their decision or a web of somebody else's decisions and Satan is just about to pounce and eat them alive. Oh God, right now, Would you just wrap your loving arms around them, call them, draw them back to yourself, Father. Provide for them, meet them, and may they find the love of Jesus here so powerful and so profound. Father, stir in this place that we would be a church that loves like you love us. And all God's people say,